Hi, I'm Lucas. And I'm Brian. And this is the Quacks Podcast. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Quacks Podcast. I'm Lucas, your host, with my other host, Brian. Brian, how's it going, man? I'm good, brother. How are you? Brian, brother? Brother? I think both of us are having trouble talking tonight. Yeah, that was my uh, third intro. I could, for some reason, not say, hey, guys, welcome to the podcast. Third time's the charm. Exactly. So today we have a little bit of a long one, but we are doing an episode that I have dreamed about and always wanted to do. It's going to be awesome. It is on antibiotics. Antibiotics. Very controversial. Very controversial. And I hope to really put the nuance into it. So let's let's dive into it because it's going to be a long one. Um, let's get started. Let's get it. All right. So... A lot of controversy, just like you said, especially in the natural world. So of the top 10 prescribed drugs in the U.S., two are antibiotics, uh, azithromycin and amoxicillin. Uh, so if you've been to a doctor any time since 1928, uh, you have probably ran into antibiotics mm-hmm. in some way or another. So my goal with the episode is really just to give you a reference on antibiotics, like from a non-doctor perspective that you can come back to. Okay. And I really want to empower you in how you use these effectively in ways that the doctors might not know, because there are ways. Um, it's also special, like I was saying, because there's nothing like this out there. I had to piece this research together like over a month uh, on off time from all over the internet. I could not find a big antibiotic reference uh, from a natural perspective in any searching at all. And you were like a kid on Christmas. You're like, oh my gosh, I'm. He was so excited about this, and he compiled it from all these different places. So it's it's really cool. You put a lot of work into it. Yeah. Do do people? I mean, they probably talk about antibiotics all the time at the health food store. Totally. I mean, they did when I was there. It's usually from uh, recovering from antibiotics. Okay, so they're looking for things to take to, uh, I just took antibiotics, what can I take to fix myself? That's generally the case. Okay. Is, is anybody positive about them? Anyone come in and be like, I love antibiotics, anything like that? No, I've not had those conversations that I can remember. I know a lot of people that said, oh, these things saved my life. You know, I'm glad I had this stuff. But then there's the people who are coming in and looking for something in lieu of antibiotics as well. Okay. Yeah. So that that is an interesting topic, and that's actually another episode we could do because there's a lot of natural antibiotics out there and some that are even more powerful than regular antibiotics. Like we did uh, berberine, which mm-hmm. is as powerful as rifaximin, uh, and we did... Uh, actually, I don't think we've talked about neem, but that's a very powerful antibiotic as well. We've touched on it. Not much, though. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, a lot of times over the years, I have wanted to tell people in the health food store, like, what is a better antibiotic? Like, okay, I've given this antibiotic, which one's better? And there's never been a a list of relativeness, you know, of Mm. like, this one is better than this one, you know? It's always been antibiotics are bad, stay away. Right. So that's kind of the goal of this episode. Um, It's obviously going to be a little long, but I think it's totally worth it. So what we're going to do is we're going to go through the good, the bad, and the ugly of the most common classes of antibiotics. Uh, We'll talk about some of the uses for them and things to watch out for. The main way I'm ranking these antibiotics is the chance of long-term damage. Oh, man. Yeah, so if an antibiotic makes you feel like total garbage while you're on it, but then, you know, very little chance of long-term damage, that's a pretty good antibiotic in my book. Whereas... Well, how do you know when you're taking it that it's only going to be short-term, this feeling of... 
terribleness? Yeah, that that's a good question. And it's just piecing together stories and studies. And it's just taking a lot of data from all over the place and saying, these are your chances. Okay. Because you can't say when you're taking it, whether it's going to be long-term or short-term. But you can say, I have a better shot. This one's more risky than that one, right. basically. Okay. Um, there are, you know, antibiotics that make you don't feel bad, but then have long-term damage like fluoroquinolones. It's going to be a real bad antibiotic. Oh, yeah. That's actually our first uh, first one we're going to talk about. So I'm also going to give a couple hints uh, at the end on how these may be used outside of how they are prescribed. Uh, and that'll be from doctors, not exactly my own, you know, just random ideas. Right. Uh, and yeah, we're going to go in reverse order. So we're going to start with the ugly and go to the good. I love it. So first up is fluoroquinolones. Uh, we're not going to spend a lot of time on these. We did a whole episode. We sure did. On this. It was episode 31. So if you're interested in learning about fluoroquinolones, please go to that. Uh, but just real quick, this class, it contains antibiotics like Cipro, Levaquin, and Avalox. These are really widely prescribed they're prescribed in the millions and they can cause tendon rupture mental problems uh, and nervous system abnormalities long term there yeah there are countless people out there who are basically disabled because they took these at some point and sometimes just once yeah they just trusted their doctor to take a prescribed antibiotic and now they're permanently damaged it's nuts and not only that the damage can be up to a year after taking them. So often people get problems and they have no idea that the round of Cipro they took six months ago is why their knee blew out or whatever. <laughs> it's you know? so bizarre. So there's so, many, there's so many issues with these and a lot of times you don't know it's these causing the issue, which is why these are still so widely prescribed. But I, I think in the next couple decades, these are going to be gone. But for now, you have, to, you have to watch out. Just using the word Cipro makes me feel like I'm hemorrhaging. <laughs> I just don't like to say it. it. Doesn't feel good in my body yeah. to even utter the word Cipro. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't know. I would I would just avoid these unless you have like anthrax. But even then, there's alternatives. So I'll probably take the antibiotics if anthrax comes my way. Yeah, you probably should. <laughs> spoiler alert. And also spoiler: uh, antibiotics do not work on coronavirus. So just you know, yeah, something to keep in mind. Definitely. Yeah. Soon you'll you'll need to keep that in mind. very soon so there's other ugly antibiotics out there uh like the aminoglycosides is a whole class of antibiotics that are generally pretty bad for you but you're not really going to get prescribed these uh because the side effects are really well known and avoided um or if you are prescribed them you probably should be on them because you know it's the only thing that's going to help with what you got okay uh so basically that's the only ugly probiotic on the list is the fluoroquinolones now moving on to the bad antibiotics. So first up is uh, clindamycin, which is from the lincosamide class of antibiotics. Clindamycin is going to be effective against gram-negative bacteria, but a couple gram-positive uh, bacteria as well. Clindamycin is used for serious bacterial infections, uh, so bone, joint, strep throat, pelvic inflammatory disease, uh, vaginal, gum infection, sometimes acne actually as well. Probably women are going to be the ones who are most often exposed to clindamycin, as it is sounds like it is prescribed topically for bacterial vaginitis and and pelvic inflammatory inflammatory disease. So uh, they're the ones who have to watch out for it. Mm. So here's the thing about clindamycin: it's going to absolutely destroy your gut. 
So generally speaking, you know, gut bacteria levels usually bounce back within a month or so of antibiotic use. And I, I don't know if... You mean t- after taking probiotics or just Antibiotics. On the, I know, after but, you take antibiotics, your gut bacteria in, uh, takes about a month. With the help of probiotics though or just, just on its own? Just in general. Okay. This is what the studies say. Okay. Um, so when they, they look at gut bacteria, and that's what people are really concerned about mostly is their, their gut, you know, levels. Right. Um, so, so it takes about a month for most antibiotics. Clinomycin... In a study published in Nature from 2007, people who took clindamycin tested two years after they were done with the antibiotic still had not recovered the same uh, microbial diversity as they had before they took it. Yikes. So pretty long. Other studies suggest it can be as long as a year for the gut to recover. Thank God we have probiotics and different things that will help hopefully speed that process up or you can just avoid these things altogether or you can avoid yeah (laughs) exactly if you listen to the uh, ken lassison episode you know that the types of bacteria in your gut can really strongly correlate with symptoms you experience so if you get a big change in the microbiome like what clindamycin can do you can start getting digestive problems where you really had none before and if you read reviews of people who take clindamycin uh, this is exactly what you see there are a lot of people who took it tolerated it fine while they were on it didn't have any big bad things that happen but after they get off it they slowly start to degrade in health Uh, they get diarrhea stomach pains bladder issues nausea Mm. uh, skin cracking Uh, as one person said online you know run from these drugs unless you want it to possibly destroy your health yeah okay don't put that on the box (laughs) (laughs) now if that were not bad enough out of any of the antibiotics out there clindamycin has the highest probability of giving you c diff so let's talk about that oh god man (laughs) so you you know what c diff is right yes yeah so c diff is the spore forming bacterium that is a serious pain to deal with Uh, when you take antibiotics you kill the bacteria in your gut so you kind of open it to this opportunistic infection with this little guy and this guy is really common in hospitals. It kills people all the time it in does. hospitals. It does. And, and they treat it very seriously. So if you test... Yeah, because po- they gave it to you in the hospital. Then <laughs> they don't want it. <laughs> yeah, right. Let's just sweep this under the table <laughs> along with the bodies. <laughs> My God. So if you test positive for C. diff, they will quarantine you into a clean room and anyone who treats you will probably be wearing a hazmat suit. Uh, it's it's really serious because the bug is strong too. They're they're going to pump you full of antibiotics to try and kill it, and even then, you have a decent chance of getting it like after you have the antibiotic courses. Like yeah. it, it it might not die. Yeah, my dad got it. No. Yes. Really? He did when he was going through cancer. He had uh, tubes. He had nephrostomy tubes. He had a, um, a perforated. Uh, oh my gosh! He had another tube in his in his. Uh, bladder yeah yeah i mean he had tubes coming out all over him and then he by when going into the hospital he he got c diff wow and survived like was touch and go there um but yeah very scary wow and like you were saying i don't i can't in my mind's eye remember the hazmat suits it seemed very boy in the bubble-ish whatever was going on in there <laughs> you know it was very serious and scary um on top of the cancer and the tubes and all that stuff. And, and we really thought we were going to lose him. But then yeah. he carried on for another six months or seven months after that. So did he have any, I mean, it can cause like nausea, uh, diarrhea, like violent diarrhea, uh, organ failure. I mean, did he have... Dude, he had all of the above. Oh, I mean, man. Um, yeah. And and uh, they had pumping him full of so many different things and, and hardcore stuff to, to try to 
counterbalance it. But yeah, it was very scary. Do you, I'm just wondering, do you ever talk to people in the store who come in who've had C. diff? Um, not really. Not that I can recall. That's interesting because I've, I've talked to some people who've, you know, when I was working at a health food store and it's almost like talking to a Vietnam vet or something, you know, they kind of have that thousand yard stare when you mention C. diff. Yeah. Yeah. It's rough. It was scary. Yeah. So most people are actually, they actually have small amounts of C. diff in their gut right now. Uh, but the other bacteria keep it in check. So any of these antibiotics we talk about actually have a chance of giving you a C. diff infection. Now, some more than others, clindamycin is the most, but it's something to be aware of with antibiotics. Well, that's what, I mean, he went into the hospital with another infection and ended up getting C. diff. Yeah. And it's, it's much more likely. Because the they hospital. were pumping them full of so many antibiotics. Yeah. Yeah. Thankfully, there are alternatives to clindamycin. If your doctor wants to prescribe it, you can say, you know, you tried it for a gum infection and it made you feel terrible and they will probably have an alternative ready for you, okay. which is nice. Uh, they might give you amoxicillin or a number of the others that have less risk. So at least there, there are alternatives to it. So next up on our list of baddies is Bactrim, also called Septra. You heard of this one? <laughs> no, but Septra? Yeah. I could have told you right there there was going to be a problem. <laughs> <laughs> so this is a combination of two antibiotics, trimethoprim and sulfamethoxazole, mm, of, mm, of course, which is in the sulfanamide antibiotic class. So this antibiotic works against mostly gram-negative bacteria, but it's actually a pretty long list, and it includes a lot of gram-positive as well. So because of this, Bactrim is used for a lot of different infections. Uh, some of the most common are like urinary tract infections, cellulitis, which is a skin infection, uh, and sometimes multiple sclerosis even. What? So, yeah. So Bactrim has some really wicked side effects. Uh, other than Bactrim, sulfanamides are really not used that often. They actually work by interfering with the ability of bacteria to make folic acid, which is one of the B vitamins. Yep. So there's often a lot of concern that maybe it messes with your own folic acid levels. Uh, they cause liver damage. Uh, there's a lot of bacterial resistance out there to these antibiotics, so they don't work that well uh, and a lot of people are actually allergic to them so this whole class of antibiotics it's generally avoided except for bactrim it just staggers me how many of these things make it to market i mean really i mean they used to work better when there was less antibiotic resistance but if that staggers you be ready for this so oh boy this is that those are not the worst side effects if you've never heard of stephen johnson syndrome be ready. This is a, uh, what, what do you call it? What did the, what do the young people say? Trigger warning. <laughs> this is going to trigger me. So this is a super rare side effect, but it's basically when you get a rash all over your body, your skin starts to bubble and then sloth off. Oh dear God. It requires immediate hospitalization and it takes months to come back from. What do you mean your skin sloths off? Yeah, that, that, you didn't have to say it sloths off. Oh that's the medical term. I, I don't think it's the medical term. But. It sounds horrible, though. <laughs> it sounds like a form of Ebola. If you, so if you get a rash while you're on this antibiotic, which is a side effect, doctors treat it really seriously. They're like, oh, you need to go to the hospital right now. Oh, they do treat it seriously when your skin is bubbling and slothing off? Yeah. Okay, I can see it. Yeah. But if you don't get that, there's cases of pancreatitis, you know, all the usual digestive issues, lower back pain, sometimes mental issues like panic attacks and stuff. 
thankfully yeah, yeah i can see them all being tied together dude. <laughs> oh my god but but thankfully it doesn't seem as long lasting uh, of damage as fluoroquinolone so if you've taken these in the past and you get through them you're, you're probably okay now yeah it, it doesn't last as long because you only have so much skin on your body before it's all slothed <laughs> It's a rare side effect, Brian. A rare side I'm going to focus on that now all night. <laughs> okay. So, so there's alternatives to Bactrim. Uh, again, just like the others. Uh, if you have a UTI and that's what you're given, uh, there's one called Microbid, uh, which is an antibiotic that doctors will prescribe quite often mm-hmm. uh, that's safer than Bactrim. Or you can try Demanos. That's the natural alternative. Um, I know a lot of women live off that. And if it's from E. coli, that actually works pretty well. Right. Yeah, uh, and you can get that at uh, health food stores. So, isn't candida formed by? I mean, candida is pretty much E. coli based. No, candida no? is a fungus. Uh, e. coli is a bacteria. Oh, it is. Yeah. Okay. Well, thank you for clearing that up. Yeah, no problem. So next up is vancomycin, which is a part of the glycopeptide family of antibiotics. And this one, I mean, you're saying the other one sounded bad. This one sounds bad. Vancomycin, you know? So vancomycin is used for gram-positive bacteria that are not responding to other antibiotics. So often vancomycin is described as the antibiotic of last resort. So this is like the final, (laughs) if nothing else is working, we're going to give you this one. The Hail Mary. Yeah. And so it's used for MRSA. It's used for C. diff, like we were talking about, uh, meningitis, complicated skin infections. If you have a burst appendix, this is what they'll give you. It's the warhead. It's the warhead. Yeah. Which is funny. I have an an analogy about warheads anyway. Uh, So when you look online at people who use vancomycin, it's actually quite positive in comparison to the other antibiotics in the bad category. And it's because the stories usually revolve around some catastrophic health problem. Uh, So it's like, you know, I had C. diff, I almost died, but Vanco saved me. Or my leg was necrotic and I had sepsis and Vanco saved me. That, That kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's not to say that Vanco is a walk in the park. Uh, It can cause severe kidney damage and make them swell up. So when you're on Vanco, they are going to test your kidney levels quite often. And speaking of warheads, it's like a nuclear bomb when it comes to your microbiome. So Ken Lassison says in an article about Vanco, there's probably no antibiotic that's as close to a full wipe of your microbiome hard drive as vancomycin is. So if clindamycin kind of you know, I said clindamycin was really bad. If mm-hmm. it kind of takes out the biggest buildings in a yeah. city, vancomycin turns the city to glass. Oh my god! It, it is the closest you will get to a sterile gut. It is like a full reset, getting rid of everything. It's basically bleach. It's bleach. It's just bleach is what it is. <laughs> yeah. And, and in addition to that, uh, kids probably shouldn't stay away from vancomycin. Uh, there was a study, it's on rats, but basically when they give rats who are young vancomycin, it can cause uh, what's called visceral hypersensitivity, which basically means your digestive digestive system becomes sensitive to pain. It, it, it's like it gives you IBS, basically. Oh, your, your system becomes Lord. sensitive. Yeah. Those poor baby rats. But there are upsides to vancomycin. Vancomycin is actually the first antibiotic we're talking about that's going to start getting into possibly helping people with chronic problems, uh, which is kind of which is why it's kind of on the verge of our good and bad categories. Uh, there was a rat study back in 2000 that looked at autoimmune arthritis and treatment with vancomycin uh, and other antibiotics, and vanco actually performed well. And the rats who received it had less symptoms than those who did not. Mm-hmm. So when I was doing uh, research on Vanco, I came across a lot of stories of people with like chronic Lyme, Sjogren's disease, uh, other autoimmune diseases who had C. diff. They were put on vancomycin. And when they got off the Vanco, they no longer had Lyme or their autoimmune condition. 
Well, that's a positive. It's it's a big positive. That's huge. Yeah, and, and I think it's pretty amazing because it, it really goes to show how much gut bacteria is a player in these autoimmune and chronic conditions. Mm. And it does make me want to try vancomycin, but you know, there's other antibiotics you could try, but but it's it's kind of cool. Yeah, it is cool. I mean, in a strange way, <laughs> in a terrifying way, it is cool. Yeah. So just to finish up on Vanco, uh, it's usually administered as either an oral tablet or an IV. The interesting thing about the oral tablet is it's similar to rifaximin, which is another antibiotic for SIBO, uh, small intestinal bacterial overgrowth. I feel like I always have to say that acronym. I'm glad you do. Really? Yeah. Because I always feel like people know SIBO and then I'm like, well, maybe they don't. We anyway. don't. Anyway, so it's just like rifaximin in that it doesn't it doesn't absorb through the intestines that well. It isn't systemic. In other words, when you take the oral tablet, you just kill gut bacteria. Okay. Now, this doesn't lessen the, the kidney side effects, which I thought it might. I thought, okay, if it's just in your gut, your kidneys are fine, but it doesn't, your kidneys are still in trouble. So, right. Yeah. All right. So, the last one on our bad list is metronidazole, also called flagell. Okay, that's the worst sounding of them. Flagel? Fl- the first one you said was bad, but flagel <laughs> sounds like a, something the emperor would give you. <laughs> so flagel is going to be effective. It's uh, it's good against gram negative and gram positive bacteria, as well as protozoa. Women, again, they're going to be the ones who normally get this. Uh, it's prescribed for bacterial vaginitis. It's also prescribed for diverticulitis, dental abscesses, giardia, which I had when I was a little baby. Mm-hmm. Don't play in the uh, irrigation. Nope. And C. diff, when it's mild, they'll give you flagell. Now, the side effects of flagell are a lot of the same of what we've been talking about. Uh, very small chance of Steven Johnson syndrome, this, the slothing. <laughs> Poor Steven Johnson. <laughs> A uh, lot of reviews saying it made them feel like total garbage, you know, while they were on it, meaning headache, extreme nausea, stomach pain. There did seem a higher proportion of people who said they had psychological problems. So depression, hallucination, hallucinations. One lady actually said she uh, she checked into a mental hospital while she was on it, which was kind of interesting. The thing about flagell is that medical professionals seem to be pretty aware of how bad it is for people. Flagell. So many people <laughs> said that when they were prescribed flagell, the nurse or doctor kind of warned them like, hey, this is a bad one. Like, be prepared. This is the flage. This is the flage. Yeah. <laughs> so what this means is that the chance of you getting pushback when you ask for an alternative is much lower than actually some of the other antibiotics. Because <laughs> they're scared of it. Yeah, the downside is that, you know, flagell is effective against some rarely seen bacteria and those protozoa. So often there are really no good alternatives. <sighs> yeah, especially if you're allergic to penicillin, which is the main alternative. Um, another alternative is Cipro, which is on the ugly list. So I wouldn't do that. But uh, if it's for dental abscesses, you may be offered clindamycin. And I, I tried to kind of think of which would be worse, clindamycin or flagell. I think flagell is worse while you're taking it and clindamycin is worse long, long term. But it's kind of, I don't know. And I'm just going to offer a caveat. Please try food grade hydrogen peroxide to wash your mouth out with before you go to any of these things. If you have any kind of mouth related infection, just gargle with it. Give it a shot. I'm, and then you can take your flat. You can get all flagged up. <laughs> I'm just saying I'm a big believer in that stuff. All right. That's it for the, the bad antibiotics, thankfully. Thankfully. There's a lot more baddies out there, but these are going to be the ones that you probably see the most often. Uh, one thing that's really confusing, I should probably just say this, it, antibiotics have so many different names. Like so many different names. So if you see one that you don't know, just Google it and it's probably one from this list. Yeah. 
because you'd be like, oh, it's zithromycin. They're like, no, I have Z-Pack. <laughs> I was like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so now comes the exciting part, the, the, the quote-unquote good antibiotics. I love it. Now, these are in the good category because side effects are relatively low, and they may be therapeutic in ways that are not commonly used. Uh, what I really loved about doing this episode is that often in the natural world, antibiotics as a whole, they have a bad rap, right? Mm. Um, when people take them, they go, oh my God, like I, I've taken a bunch of antibiotics. Things are bad. I, I have to do probiotics and colonics for <laughs> six months, you know, to make sure I heal correctly. Yes. Yeah. But what I'm going to tell you is that these antibiotics are actually pretty okay. Uh, you don't have to worry too much about them. Okay. Is what I'm saying. So in that vein, let's talk about uh, penicillin. Penicillin, everybody knows it. First discovered antibiotic, 1928, Alexander Fleming. Uh, you know, the first thing, changed the world. You don't even hear that much about it, though, anymore. Are they still utilizing Oh, penicillin? yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, Why are they always going to all these other things? Well, it just doesn't work like it used to. Because. Of, yeah, yeah, it just it isn't as effective. Now, it's from the beta-lactam family of antibiotics. Uh, it's effective in, against gram-positive bacteria. And it actually, it doesn't kill them. It inhibits their ability to create a cell wall. Mm. So. That's gram-positive. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. That was good. That was good. Uh, there's a lot of like different penicillins out there. Uh, so we're not going to talk about them all. We're just going to talk about the most popular one, amoxicillin. Love it. Yeah. Amoxicillin is used for so many different kinds of infection. Upper respiratory tract, dental, urinary tract, bronchitis, sinus. I just said I love it about amoxicillin. I don't love it, but compared to flage, okay, I'm sorry. <laughs> so it's good for all this stuff. It's good for basically, everything. you know, chances are you get it if you have a mild infection. Right. Side effects are really mild. Uh, digestive complaints, obviously. Uh, headaches, dizziness, tiredness, that kind of thing. But the main point I want to get across with amoxicillin is it doesn't really harm your gut microbiome that much. Some studies show that amoxicillin disrupts good gut bacteria for just about a week. Uh, then, then you're back to normal after you stop taking it. Hmm, so, I mean, it's, it's really gentle uh, compared to at least to the others. <laughs> yeah, it sounds like it. So, all the panic about antibiotics that I see, you know, people wanting to avoid them at all costs. You see, people... They have they have to take shortcuts with knowledge, right? You have these heuristics mm. where you take a shortcut. So if you asked me a couple of years ago, I would say antibiotics are rarely, if ever, a positive force to be considered. So growing up, I took antibiotics many times, even when I was a baby. I have no doubt I have allergies and other gut issues because of them. In cases like that, you know, lumping all the antibiotics into the bad category, it, it makes sense, right? It makes sense. Yes. The problem is with the exception of Cipro and maybe one or two others, usually if we are prescribed antibiotics for something minor, we're getting the mild antibiotics. You know, if if we're prescribed antibiotics from the bad category, we're usually in some type of trouble where we need them, right. even, if, even if we don't want them. So the heuristic that people use in the natural world to avoid antibiotics, it really doesn't work that well. Right. It, it makes us avoid antibiotics that are not that big a deal and take the antibiotics because we need them. It's, it's just not useful. Does, it, does that make sense? It makes perfect sense. Anyway, to get back to amoxicillin, I would say it's probably one of the safest antibiotics out there, but as far as like helping long-term conditions, it isn't all that special. It's just kind of neutral. Okay. So just to be aware of. Yes. So the next category of antibiotics is called cephalosporins. Uh, there's a ton of different cephalosporins and multiple generations. 
We're not going to go through all of them. Uh, a very common one you may have heard of is called Keflex. Yes. Have you heard of Keflex? I have. I've, been, I've taken Keflex before. Okay, yeah. So have I. Um, they're, they're also in the beta-lactam family, similar to penicillins. They're a bit more dangerous than penicillins. There is an increased chance of C. diff with the cephalosporins. Uh, but there are also a lot of you know more stories saying that these antibiotics help people long-term with allergies and that kind of thing. It made me feel very off. Did they really? Yes, it did. That was one that I really felt shaky and did not feel good. I mean, not enough to stop the... I kept the round, but yeah, I remember having a hard time with that one. So I guess guess the best takeaway with these is they're kind of low risk, but probably not all that useful for anything outside of what they're prescribed for. All right. So again, kind of a neutral antibiotic. Okay. So I'm not going to spend a ton of time on those. But the next family is different. These are called tetracycline antibiotics. There are a handful of these. Uh, they go by names like doxycycline, minocycline, and tetracycline. That's kind of confusing that the class is called tetracycline, and there's also an antibiotic within that class called tetracycline, but, yep. you know, whatever. Uh, so this is when we start to get into antibiotics that could actually be used for, like, long-term stubborn conditions. Uh, tetracyclines, they're very broad spectrum, and they used to have potency among almost all gram-negative and positive bacteria that, that were relevant. Over time, bacterial resistance has kind of eroded that. Now, because they're so broad spectrum, you're going to find these used for just about everything, Uh, although probably mostly for acne and rosacea, uh, but just about everything. That's what I took it for. No, being serious. Acne? No, tetracycline, yeah. Oh, yeah, you took it for acne? Well, yeah, skin. I I didn't have like full-blown acne, but I had pretty bad zits there for a while, and I I did get that prescribed to me. Did they give it to you long-term or... Dude, were, it was in high school. I cannot remember it, but I do remember it getting more than once going back and having to get my tetracycline. Okay, so it you was you, continued use. Because it's one of the ones that they'll put teenagers on who have bad acne for like a year. I was on it for an extended period of time. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, you're also going to see it for like sinus infections, ear infections, uh, Lyme disease, chlamydia, uh, a lot of, lot of things they'll give. It helped me for. with those too. Oh, good. <laughs> That's another podcast. I was 16. What are you gonna do podcast episode sixty nine? <laughs> what do we what what do we do about chlamydia? <laughs> <laughs> Let's delve, Brian. <laughs> so what I really want to talk about with these though is what they can use be used for outside of acute infections. So I've kind of put these in two categories. The first category is overall anti-inflammatory and metabolism boosting effects. The second category is kind of for stubborn stubborn problems. So the first category, Ray Pete is the one who kind of turned me on to this, their use for metabolism. Uh, he has recommended tetracyclines for a variety of conditions because it's generally anti-inflammatory uh, for the body. Uh, these include, you know, you can lower nitric oxide levels pre-surgery. He's recommended it for topically for skin problems, food allergies, uh, any type of recurrent gut problem, dental issues. Now, the food allergy angle is, is really quite interesting because almost everyone out there has a food allergy these days. Do you, do you have any food allergies that you know of? I do. I mean, I, uh, very much so. I mean, dairy. Yeah. And wheat. Yeah. So the way Ray says these, these can be used is if you combine the tetracycline with a change in diet, it can help establish new gut flora that will make that diet change permanent. So I guess in other words, if you want to reincorporate a food like dairy, if you combine it with a tetracycline, that might make it possible. Hmm. Yeah. Now I should say, I'm not talking about like anaphylactic allergies that make your throat close up. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'd die if I have strawberries. I'll try them together. (laughs) I'll just chase it. (laughs) 
<laughs> I'm talking about like food allergies, okay. you know, bloating, diarrhea, that kind That's of thing. That's the stuff. Yeah. I've, I've seen several people say they couldn't handle milk and after taking antibiotics, they could. So That's so crazy. It, it is crazy. It's really nuts. Now, the second category I talked about is stubborn health problems. I'm going to talk about uh, that after the, n- the next probi- uh, antibiotic that we talk about. Okay. All right. As far as side effects go, uh, minocycline is the most powerful, followed by doxycycline and then the others of the class. There are reports of minocycline causing depression, anxiety, low energy, uh, other digestive issues. Doxycycline has similar side effects, although not as bad. Uh, The reason minocycline is worse is because it can actually cross the blood-brain barrier. So it means it can be more helpful and more <laughs> yeah, that's harmful. Say. There's two sides of that coin. Yeah. Actually, Ken Lassison, uh, he talks about minocycline use uh, in chronic fatigue because it crosses the blood-brain barrier and helps with uh, brain fog. Oh. Yeah. So, I mean, it can be helpful. The other side effect of tetracycline is it binds to calcium and then absorbs into bones. Now, if you're taking these for a short period of time, it's really not that big a deal. But long-term, and by, by that I mean like six months to a year, Doxycycline in particular can hurt your teeth and discolor them. Uh, This is particularly true for children whose bones are still growing. So it's just something to be aware of. Totally. Uh, When I tried minocycline, I actually found it whitened my teeth. So again, it's, you know, unless you're taking these for a long, long time, you don't have to worry about that, but it's just something to know. Yeah. Yeah. It whitened them. Wow. Well, I mean, it's changing your gut bacteria around and and so... I just haven't why. heard that before. That that's a that's pretty incredible. That there's such a varied amount of things that come out of taking antibiotics. I know it's kind of crazy. So one other thing, uh, one other concern with taking tetracycline long term is the disruption and impairment of ATP creation in the mitochondria. So this is actually pretty concerning concerning for long term use. Uh, ATP is the energy that cells create, and tetracycline can mess with that. Now, what that means on a day-to-day basis for someone is really not clear. Like some studies have shown that plants and mice grow up stunted if they're given tetracycline as they grow, but tetracycline is given to livestock all the time and they grow like mad. Right. So, I mean, I, what this means is is kind of a question, but probably for this reason alone, tetracyclines are not at the you know top spot of all the antibiotics. Yeah, I can see why. Yeah. Now, as far as disturbing gut bacteria, studies have shown that gut balance can take about a month to return to your pre-antibiotic uh, state after a round of minocycline. Uh, so it's a little worse than amoxicillin, but it's not clindamycin. All thank, right. Thank God. So we made it. We are down to the last and the best antibiotic out there. This class of antibiotics is called macrolides. I'm so excited right now. So these antibiotics, they go by names like azithromycin, uh, clarithromycin, and of course, you know, the top 10 most popular antibiotic of all time, azithromycin, yes. or as you called it, its street name, z That's right, z So these treat mostly gram-positive bacteria with a fr- few gram-negative thrown in there. Uh, they have a wide variety of use. Just a few are like dental abscesses, bronchitis, sinus infection, upper respiratory, strep throat, that kind of thing. So macrolides have one of the lowest, if not the lowest chance of getting a C. diff infection of any antibiotics out there. That's fantastic. It's fantastic. So as far as safety goes, they're probably the best. Okay. Um, Side effects are all the normal stuff, digestive issues, dizziness, headache, that kind of thing. But let's get back to those two categories that I was talking about. The first was from Ray Pete about metabolism. The second was about stubborn health conditions. Uh, So let's, let's talk about that one. 
So this comes from Dr. Gabe Merkin, who he has a great article. I'll link it in the show notes and it's titled why I prescribed antibiotics to patients with chronic fatigue syndrome, fibromyalgia, MCS, and other autoimmune conditions. And he makes a really interesting argument. So he says that all the drugs used on these conditions cause severe disability and often do not cure or stop the progression of these diseases. Like sometimes, you know, the immune suppressing drugs that are indicated uh, can be deadly. Yes. You know, if an antibiotic can control or halt these diseases, they should be used way before these other indicated drugs. (laughs) Totally. Totally. But often they're not an option that doctors are willing to prescribe. So Dr. Why is that? It's a good question. And Dr. American even says in this article, doctors will take antibiotics for some of these conditions when they won't prescribe them for it. And I don't know if that's true or not, but... I wonder if there's some sort of AMA restrictions. I don't know. I'm not sure. So he kind of makes this case that all, you know, autoimmune disease has a bacterial aspect to it. Uh, Three bacteria in particular, mycoplasm, chlamydia, and ureaplasm. So these are the smallest living organisms and are unlike other bacteria in that they don't have a cell wall. So they actually live inside your own cells. So very similar to viruses, but unlike viruses, antibiotics will kill them. So he, Dr. Merkin goes on to list a few different chronic diseases that he has personally seen do very well on long-term antibiotic treatment. Uh, the first one is rheumatoid arthritis. Often these people are giving, given immune suppressive drugs, you know, they have ghastly side effects. But the crazy thing is since 1930, uh, or the 30s, I don't, I don't know the date, but bacteria have been implicated in causing RA. And there are five prospective studies all showing minocycline has positive effects on rheumatoid arthritis. Yet the FDA has never approved minocycline for RA treatment. Why is, oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lose my sh- <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I don't know why. So Dr. Merkin says it's not uncommon for antibiotics to drop RA blood factors to zero and save your joints, which is just nuts. Triggered. Triggered. <laughs> Super triggered right quiet, now. Quiet millennial. <laughs> <laughs> Super trigged. So Dr. Merkin, he then goes on to list other conditions that have that he's treated with antibiotics successfully, like uh, late onset asthma, fibromyalgia, chronic fatigue syndrome, multiple chemical sensitivities, stomach problems. He uses doxycycline, sometimes minocycline, uh, although he says minocycline can cause worse side effects compared to doxy, like we talked about, because it penetrates tissues better. Uh, he uses azithromycin, clarithromycin, and even Cipro sometimes. <sighs> yeah. Cipro, it's terrible. It's bad for you. Don't take it. Don't take it. We, <laughs> we almost sound the same. <laughs> we sound like, we've, yeah, we just need more Cipro. <laughs> Sip it up. You over there, scooch closer. <laughs> scooch closer. I'll stab you in the face with a soldering iron. <laughs> All right. You romantic you. So basically what I take from this is often long-term problems, like especially when they have a component of fatigue or gut-related disorders, probably have a lot more to do with bacteria than doctors think. So generally speaking, if it doesn't scream bacteria in the diagnosis phase, doctors will move on and, and to other diagnoses. And the prospect of long-term antibiotics just kind of goes out the door. Out the window. Yeah. Now, in my opinion, it's just this is just my opinion. Macrolides are the perfect antibiotic to experiment with if you have one of these long-standing conditions, especially if you've been given immune suppressant, you know, drugs or whatnot with other bad side effects. Yeah. Now, if you do want to experiment... 
I will tell you the internet is your friend. I'm not going to say the website. Well, I mean, if you message me, I'll probably tell you. But I will say if you do a little digging, it's quite easy to find the websites where you can order any of these antibiotics online and they will send them to you from India or Singapore. Without the need of a doctor. Well, it'll say, please give us your prescription and you just don't give it to them and they send them to you anyway. Oh, wow. Which is kind of nice. <laughs> yeah, dude. <laughs> now, there's also certain pl- places in the US, like here in Arizona, where naturopathic doctors can prescribe you antibiotics. Uh, they may be more willing to try out the long-term treatments. Another option is you can grab a, a study that kind of shows the effect of antibiotics, you know, especially like rheumatoid arthritis. You can show it to your doctor and maybe they'll do an off-label. It's funny you keep bringing that one up because when you brought up RA, I was going to talk about the doctors. We've been talking about that all week. Oh, really? On yes. the show? Yeah. And um, I wonder if they're even aware of this because this would be something to be nice for their repertoire. Well, I think they listen to the show sometimes. Yeah, so. they do. They, but um, no, I'm talking about the using the antibiotic for yeah, RA. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm saying maybe they'll listen to this episode. They and, better. <laughs> I hope they do. <laughs> this is how they learn. Dayhan and Aaron, listen up. Listen. <laughs> this is how they learn. Yeah. <laughs> so with that said, you know, antibiotics, they're risky. They're probably more risky than anything else we've ever talked about on the podcast. So... You just know what you're getting yourself into. Like cross all your T's, dot all your I's. Thankfully, there's a lot of people experimenting like this online. They can offer advice, but you know, you're on your own. So just act accordingly if you do this. Yes. Personally, I have experimented with antibiotics. Uh, When I have, I have ruled absolutely everything else out to try. Uh, I make sure I am at the end of my rope and antibiotics are the last thing left. Uh, so I just, I can't emphasize that enough. That's what I was going to ask. When you said you experimented, it wasn't just willy-nilly. You're you're like, eh, maybe I'll try some sip. Get some pro. <laughs> no, some flagell. <laughs> some flagell. <laughs> okay, yeah. so you were sick and this was a last resort. Yeah, or or I was trying it for a long-term condition and, and nothing else was working. It's like, all right, let's give these a shot. Okay. Yeah. So just one last thing I want to talk about uh, before we kind of wrap up this this long episode is IV antibiotics. So if you get IV antibiotics, you're obviously in a hospital. A lot of times there's really no ability to ask for a safer antibiotic in that situation. You know, you don't, you don't have a lot of leeway. Uh, so if that happens to you, here's the top four most commonly used IV antibiotics. Vancomycin, that's the top one, 14.4%. Uh, ceftriaxone, that's a cephalosporin. That's at eight, uh, 10.8%. Uh, piperacillin, that's at 10.3%. That's a penicillin. And then the last one is levofloxacin. That's a fluoroquinolone. They sound like the four horsemen of death. I mean, <laughs> well, oh. just two of them. Yeah. So you can see, you, you probably don't have to worry too much about those, uh, about two of them. You know, the cephalosporin and the penicillin, they're relatively safe. Right. If you get vancomycin, you could be in trouble with your kidneys. Uh, but if not, you know, you're going to have to repopulate your gut bacteria pretty hardcore after you get out of the hospital. And then if you get levofloxacin, I guess you just kind of hope your joints and tendons hold up over the next year. Maybe avoid yoga and other activities that put a lot of pressure on your joints or so something. So it wouldn't be good to try and strengthen them after enduring that level of lax little glands? Yeah. A lot of times, uh, no, not no. necessarily because they rupture. And so you put strain on them and that's how they rupture. I mean, oh, sometimes boy. they just rupture on their own. You know, your Achilles tendon just, right, you know, when you're sitting down. But yeah. <sighs> that is so scary. It is. It is. So that's the gist of it. 
Um, this should get every, give everyone just a foundation to work from. Uh, and like I said, this episode has been a total dream of mine because I never came across anything in all my reading that let me make a relative judgment on antibiotics against each other. And, and I'm sure we got some things wrong here. You know, maybe we'll make some changes in the future. But I think it's a good start. No, it's great. And where where do you fall on taking probiotics after a round of antibiotics? It depends on what you're trying to address. Like, you know, I think some of these good ones, you might not want to take probiotics afterwards unless yeah. you're already taking one and you like it and stuff like that. But I, I don't think, like, if, if you take the macrolides, I don't necessarily think you, you need to jump jump in and start doing probiotics to try repopulate. Yeah. Uh, but some of the bad ones, I think it's definitely smart because you could risk fungal infections. Um, I mean, that's something we didn't really talk about, but a lot of people who take these hardcore antibiotics after they get off them, they get a fungal infection of some kind. Right. Athlete's foot and, you know, vaginal and all that fun stuff. So, I mean, that that might be a good reason to use probiotics afterwards. Okay. Um, but I think we've gotten across the point that, you know, you don't need to get all freaked out, uh, especially if it's in the good category. Okay. So lots of references in the show notes. Uh, if you're cu- curious, I got most, like just how I put this together, I got most of the user reviews from drugs.com and Everyday Health. Uh, that's how I found out what people were experiencing them on. Those are great sites for personal experiences with like different pharmaceuticals. I will say it leans a little negative because of just the nature of online reviews. <laughs> you know, I, I did my best to try and account for this, but it's all anecdotal. So, I mean, it's, it's whatever. Yeah. yeah. It's not a great measuring rod. It, it isn't. And, and I also looked at, uh, there's surveys online of people with certain chronic conditions and which antibiotics help them the most. So I used that to really make the list. So, so some people like penicillins a lot for, you know, like getting over a milk allergy. Mm-hmm. The reason I put it in fourth instead of putting it at number one, like the macrolides is because of these surveys I, I looked at and, and, and saw which you know, people were, were getting the best response. Dude, from. look at you compiling all this stuff. You're building your own antibiotic algorithm over here. Dude, I love this. I mean, even if we had no listeners whatsoever to this podcast, I still would do it just because of how much learning and research goes into it. I mean, I feel like... Then I've, it's perfect. Yeah, it's pretty. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Stop listening, everyone. Yeah. Anyway, any, that's awesome. Any man. other any thoughts you have? Anything? No, just endlessly fascinating. All this stuff. I've always been very scared of them, and I've taken more than my fair share of antibiotics in my life. Yeah, very nervous mother. Hmm. And uh, yeah, so I don't even know if I can put that on her. It's just everybody listed the doctors unequivocally. Yeah, I mean that's kind of the that's kind of it, it, that's so new too because in the past doctors were not trusted unequivocally like until the 20th century doctors were often seen as like a little scammy a little quacks like a little quacksy yeah and and then antibiotics came out and that's when people you know we had all these because antibiotics are like the bastion i mean they're they're a pillar of health you know healthcare because if you get rid of like like say one day uh there's so much resistant to, resistance to antibiotics that they don't work anymore, right? You have to throw out most of healthcare. You can't do surgeries. I mean, you can do surgeries, but you, you're gonna you, lose a lot of people. You're, you know, you're gonna go back to like the civil war rates of of surgeries. You know, half the people <laughs> are gonna die on you from infection. Uh, but yeah, if you if we lose antibiotics, and we will at some point, bacteria are eventually gonna outsmart it. You know, you just lose a lot of healthcare. Oh man, which is kind of nuts. Let's just focus on the positives. And the positives is that we we keep discovering and we keep figuring 
out new ways to combat uh, bacteria and stuff. Yep. Yeah. Keep plowing. All right. That's it. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, Quackspodcast.com for all the episodes. Use our Amazon banner to shop, if you will. Help us out with a couple dollars here and there. And uh, follow me on Twitter, at Quackspod. And I'm posting a lot of like updates, studies I'm looking at, sometimes the uh, funny quip or whatnot. So give that a listen. And then, uh, yeah, that's it. Love it, man. This was a great episode. Cool. Thank you. Well. Wow.